Race matters. 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 Acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. We honour this in all the work we do and carry this into our conversation today. You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show that explores the values and complexities of race, culture and identity. I'm Sharika Halaludin. Hello, flying solo today. And I'm asking, what is it to have cultural connections that defy the confines of time and place to collapse our understandings of past, present and future? Our episode today traces story, language and music and what it is to be in connection to all of that. Our guest today is someone who you might know from the band The Stiff Gins. And she's also someone that has expanded upon her songwriting into a lyrical and complex fictional debut titled Song of the Crocodile. Nadi Simpson is a Uwellerai storyteller from New South Wales' Northwest Freshwater Plains. Her work has long been dedicated to breathing life into objects and story of the past through song, language revival, and she continues to be heavily involved in the teaching and sharing of culture in both her Sydney and Uwellerai communities. Her work spans music, composing, music direction, and her debut novel titled Song of the Crocodile was winner of the 2017 Black and White Fellowship. It's a story that traces race relations between Indigenous and settler families in a place called Dunmore. It's a lyrical and gripping story that expresses the tension, spirit, and complexities of black womanhood. Nadi Simpson joins me today. Nadi, thank you so much for joining us on Race Matters. Sharika, it's a it's a such a beautiful pleasure and honour to be thinking and dreaming and talking about this gear with you. I want to begin our conversation by locating us where we are. Every week we begin our show by honouring the songlines and stories that have been here in Redfern for thousands of years before us and long after us as well. You've spent most of your time on Gadigal and Wangal lands. How would you describe your relationship to place right now? I, uh, I always say that Gadigal country grew me up into a strong Yuwalurai woman and it's because 
uh, over the years or over time she revealed parts of herself to me that she knew um, would help me know who I was and help me to have the framework of understanding where I belong. And so for me, Gadigal Country and, you know, this this spot here in Redfern, I did most of my um, growing into knowing in this place. I was up, up at the Eura Centre when I started singing and writing is an extension of the music of words and place and people. So I always say that many of the joys happen for me on Gadigal Country and I'm incredibly grateful for her continued generosity, not just to me, but, you know, my mother's not Indigenous woman, to her, and my son um, was born here to him. So sustaining um, people that don't belong to it in a cultural sense for generations, how deadly is that? I definitely feel receptive to that generosity here as well, and you began to touch on that, but that's exactly how people might know of you from the band the stiff gins with of course Kalina Briggs Mm. and a lot of your work explores exactly that like this this spirit of place and a connection to place with that what was the process for you um, of moving from music writing to your debut book Mm. um, Song of the Crocodile yeah well I was trying to be you know trying to be deadly (laughs) and mucking it up as I usually go Um, you know Stiff Gins is beautiful, friendship-based um, harmony, yeah. And I thought, I'm not going to get any better on this guitar, you know. It's going it, to – where I am is where I will always be <laughs> musically and that's frustrating to me, oh, my personality, like I feel like I need to be moving all the time. And so I thought, well, if I'm not going to get any better, I'm going to pack that away and try and be an author. I'll try and be an author. And I was lucky enough to, you know, write a story that hooked into a big mob of um, support and connection through Black and White um, um, up at the um, State Library of Queensland. And I was working on the book with beautiful Grace Lucas Pennington, Bunjalung woman living in um, in Brisbane, and stuck on this sort of concept or paragraph or something. I was stuck, I was going nowhere and I was trying to write my way out of it. And she said to me, Nadi, what if I said, uh, where's the music in this passage? And I thought, hey, wait there, I'll pack that away. I'm trying to be someone different now. But she, her, her words to me were actually asking me to bring forward what you are good at and relate it to where you are now. And it's when I actually started to re-engage with my own musicality, instead of it being, you know, the fence I couldn't jump over, it then became the platform for which I could draw from or spring from. And um, I'm forever grateful for her seeing that part of me and making me realise its worth, even though I had lost that. So when I understood that singing or music and words uh, or voice and a page can talk to each other, I never looked back then. 
music and writing are forms of storytelling and in many ways forms of listening. Um, can you describe, as you became unstuck, um, what it was like to experience creating whole worlds mm. um, and spending more time mm. with characters in a book opposed to, you know, three mm. minutes in a song? Yeah, it was really liberating for me because uh, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so I didn't know how not to do it, <laughs> which meant that I could explore is the kind of flash word for fumble around, which is what I was really doing. Uh, and I had known and been trained actually in the song format so well that it became, you know, the restriction rather than the possibility. So when I was writing, I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know. I just knew that I wanted to tell a story that was going to take longer than three minutes. And so I was able to experience of making something and having to lose a lot of it, like lose big chunks of it in an editing process, parts of story and sentences and ideas that you were really connected to and having to kind of wash them away was a really wonderful liberating feeling for me creatively because uh, you know letting go is as important as what stays on a page whereas in a song those things aren't as kind of um, those decisions aren't as crucial because you have limited time anyway. I wanted to tell a story that took a long time and through that I learnt a degree of patience that I had never exercised. Yeah. You mentioned the mentorship through Black and Right. What was how did that connection shape your your process? It was the everything. Because, you know, I, I worked with um Caitlin Murphy, uh, young Murray um editor, Ginnaburra Woman, and Grace as well, who, you know, it's like, imagine you turn a light off, oh, you're in a room, tiny little room, turn a light off, and someone says, go and find, you know, a symbol. <laughs> and you just got to feel around and guess. And uh, until two very young, incredibly amazing, talented women take your hand and lead you. That's how it was. It was essential to the book, uh, that relationship, because n not only did, it wasn't even that they helped me squeeze words out of myself. It was that their, the example of them in who they are and what they were doing was enough for me to say, well, they are holding this process for me. And in that sense, I didn't really need to worry about which direction because they were taking care of that for me. They were, I was going to say two steps, they were a long way down the track ahead of me and the fact that of, of their presence meant that I had faith in where I was going. And they just stood there and waited for me to catch up and then we'd talk and then they'd walk down the road a little bit 
you know, they give me an edit or give me some ideas and then say, let's talk again in five weeks' time. And I would work running up to them and catching up again. And so that example of them knowing the process was how that last full stop got onto that final sentence. And it was only through that, I reckon, you know, it was the, the silent, yeah, strength of black women supporting each other that made that book. The words were easy, but the people uh, got it over the line. I feel like that really comes across in the pages of the book and in particular the character of Millie, who's an incredible black woman, that experiences a lot of change. Um, She sits on the edge of a lot of shifts occurring in the town, in her family, but also in that point in colonial history Mm. as well. Mm. What did Millie represent for you, kind of Mm. thinking about what you were just talking about? Mm. Her ability to get up again and again and again after all these kind of enforced... Um, disruptions of which she has little say the ability to keep rising is something that as the daughters of those women we're really um, grateful for but also the interpretation of that that comes about now I'm really interested in people say oh you know indigenous communities indigenous indigenous people so resilient as if that's a you know a good thing Uh, and so she holds that complexity of having the strength of continuing through shit Uh, but also being the actual beacon of everything that is enforced upon our mob you know so for me there's an uneasy love in that story because I've I have received goodness from women like that but also uh, when is the time when women like that will stop needing to be resilient so it was kind of a you know playing around with those kind of concepts, what we have and what we make out of the hand that we're dealt and then how others take on that narrative and and use other words, make it a good thing mm. when actually there's a seed of something that's not right and that needs to be... that All that thing, you know, what's happened to Millie too in the book is this absence of accountability, which a lot of our mob, you know, out the window here, um, feel every day. So how do we get to, how do we sit down and talk about, and actually not just talk about, how do we shift that? Uh, Those kind of, you can't do that in the song. Hey. Um, So Millie was a complex love and a and a point of collision all mm. rolled up into one part of complicating that 
narrative and bringing more nuance is your use of language in your story as well. You do make a point of writing in Uwalurai language and I've heard you say you want people to swim yeah. in the language. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Yeah. Well, when I um, when I think about language, you know, and it's I, I'm, I'm funny because I got a little rule that you don't ever I don't ever want to bring up this stuff that I love. I love it so much: language, culture, story, narrative. I don't ever want to bring that up and frame it in a way like, you know, "Look what I know." Never, never. If I do that, you know. All you mob got to come up and whack me across the head or something, because that's not what it's not there to make me look good. So when I use language, or to show what I know, actually, that's another really important thing. It's not about how I appear or what I know. Culture is never about that. But for me, when I write in language, I'm writing to language itself. I'm reacquainting myself with this tongue and this practice and this place and I'm holding a conversation of my unknowing, lack of knowing, uh, as well as the little skerricks that I do and trying to put those words and concepts forward in a way that even people outside our community can appreciate in their own way. That's why I use language. I because I talked when I write it or sing it, I'm talking to it, not necessarily to the people engaging with it. Because I always want to remind my remind language of me, practice a kinship to this knowledge system, not as not in a way of look. You know, this is how much of you I know. This I I prefer to say this is how little I know, but I. But can you still love me? That's how I want to frame those things. And language in general, especially our, you know, especially our Blackfellow languages, are songs in themselves, in themselves. So I don't need to do any work to make language beautiful. I just need to make sure that I place myself in deference to it. Yeah, you're speaking as language, not um, as a thing, but uh, something living and breathing Mm. that you're in relationship to. For me, the way I remember things is singing them and then I've got to go over and over and over again. Fresh water is a way for us to do that. I was going to say community. It's three sisters and a a best friend who ends up being the kind of... (laughs) That's a community. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We'll call it, yeah, we're we're some kind of community, let me tell you. Anyway, we enjoy it. So we do it together. We make mistakes together. And that encourages you to speak more and make more mistakes, which is how you learn. Um, And, you know, very recently... um, Actually, yeah, me and my sisters and some ladies in Lightning Ridge, we made a possum skin cloak because in the old days the Uluru women would use that as an instrument. The timekeeper would, would keep time in the um, big ceremonies and little ceremonies with the rolled up possum skin and in that we sang to the two creator wives our sort of first mothers of Uluru and we sang, Bawalana Nginonda Mayu, we're singing well for you. 
And later on, you know, we say to each other, um, Wiringa bumalagaru bambangunga ngianinya winengali. So, so hit that skin hard, so those women will know us. So it's always a communion. It's not a creation for me of a creative project. It's a communion with those that you stem from. And if there's mob there to listen to it, you know, lucky for them. <laughs> if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Race Matters. I'm Sharika Hallaludin. I'm here with Nadi Simpson, storyteller, composer, singer. We're talking through what it is to swim in language, Yuwalari language that is, the lineage of black women and storytellers that have brought her here and what it is to create complex literary worlds to explore all of this. Stick around to hear more from Nadi Simpson. I'll be asking her about the work in creating songs from museum archives and forging cultural connections in unexpected and non-linear ways. This kind of brings me to some of the other work that you do that I wanted to touch upon and I wanted to share a story as well because this isn't actually the first time that we've shared space together. Um, Ten years ago, (laughs) or a a while ago, (laughs) um, I was uh, studying music in an institution that I was having quite a hard time at and you did a guest lecture 
And part of why I was having a hard time is because I was quite an outspoken person of colour and really grappling with what it was to take up that space. And you were sharing some work that you were doing at the Australian Museum and working with the Indigenous collection there. And I remember you just held up an object and just listened. And that was like such a transformative moment for me because it just like in an instance showed me that you can hear ancestral wisdom, Mm. you can be guided by intuition Mm. and also that you can create beauty within the confines of these, you know, Mm. rigid colonial Mm. institutions Mm. as well. Mm. So I wanted to thank you for that. Oh, Sharika. But... We've been talking today, you know, about connection, um, relationships to place, Mm. relationships in the book, Mm. outside of the book. And I also wanted to talk about what it is to form relationships across time. I guess I wanted to begin by asking, what was it like for you to step into that archive at the Australian Museum? Yeah. Uh I worked there so I knew. If I had no concept of how those rooms of our ancestors were, I would have, if I didn't know, I would have walked in there, spun back out and gone and cried and never gone in again. But I, ha- I knew how they worked. And this is a really interesting thing I've been thinking about recently about um, institutions. Uh, a, a lot of blackfellas who engage with these types of places or even, you know, these uh, houses of education and learning. We know them better than they know themselves. So I knew how it worked. The transformative thing for me in that project was that it was the first time I made music that didn't come from self. Those songs... Kalina and I both talk about the that experience of really it was a kind of cultural listening or deep listening or and you know it was blackfellow knowing and despite the fact these things were sort of boxed up and you know ordered and structured and confined and actually disconnected from their function they still knew us and so when you're that small, really, in that huge oscillating kind of moving way of culture, uh, you know, when a boomerang can tell you a story because it's your kin, you know, you understand... Hmm. Oh, I want to say this in the right way. What's coming out is you understand how significant insignificant you are it's not to say you know you're meaningless but in the shadow of these things you're a blip in a in a dreaming and actually at that moment the things that you can do are of service to something greater than yourself so the songs and the stories and however it was a really interesting um experience of you know I'm going to sound really womba here um, seeing and hearing and feeling things 
are that inspired song making with us as a conduit, not as a creator, with, with us as particular skills to release that particular version. The point of that project for us was to re-indigenise ourselves. How's that one? That's what it was. Come and use the things that you can do to get this thing out. And actually, when you talk about it, talk about me. So it was a it was a um, uh, reorient reorienting of ourselves in relationship to not just the past into the weight of culture that was good for us, essential, because we were about to break up because we ha- were at the same point as I was with my guitar. We ain't going, we ain't going nowhere. We're, like, we're going to do the same thing for the next 20 years and uh, it will look the way it is now forever. And that was frustrating. And then somewhere this idea for this project came and we understood we're much more than songwriters or we can be much more if we listen and stop singing. to decenter yourselves and you're in this more reciprocal relationship to mm, yes. the objects and environment around you but also everything that came before you yes. as well um what were you both encountering as you kind of listened to the spirit of these objects mm. um Kalina oh I I was uh at one point I took a boomerang down the back and its little tag started to flicker. It's I can remember. Uh, E12, E12353. I think that's the number of what it was. It started flickering. I thought, gee, that looks like a leaf. Anyway, sat down and I just held it with gloves on, mind you. Um, boomerang from Narran Lakes, Daddy War, in the middle of Yualarai. And um, uh, I don't know. 
a story happened in my ear and I just wrote down what I heard about um, you know, this leaf and a tree, the mother tree and the tree does the tree doesn't want to let go but you've got to let go and it, and it floated down to the ground. And see, I'm poking it with this boomerang here. Can you see that leaf? And I just wrote it down. And like, you know, um, in a creative process, we ha- we kind of live for moments like that where something is, I think they call it flow, you know. It, something happens through you and you're there but you're not controlling it. It's just pouring out. And that's what happened for me with hearing things. Kalina saw images. It was only a very short time. It was only a couple, three days, I think, that we were in there that all this information appeared. It wasn't that easy. We had to kind of... was received, let's say, like that. And it's sort of like we don't talk about it much, Kalina and I, because it's so special that we don't want to understand it. Yeah, there's something ineffable that you actually can't put into words yeah. with things like that. Yeah, it would just ha- ha- have faith that well, actually, what happened in the beginning, we both went to where our mob's things were and introduced ourselves, which is why we don't want to understand what... We don't want to kind of quantify what happened because I think it was in the relationship, kinship. See, this is black... This is what this is what happens. When you have yarns with blackfellas and you talk in a certain way and it makes sense to us, but... I was just I just was going to censor myself because I didn't want to sound weird, but that's what it is. It was the kinship with those things and the makers and the places and the kinship that we are all living or being held away from those places. That was the meeting ground for the making of those things. And for Kalina, she would answer that question in a different way, but that of how it, the black way of how it happened, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it's really resonant. I guess hearing what it is to have more of a transformational relationship mm. to a cultural archive, not yeah. not one that's static. Yeah. I read a thing very recently about the um, um, young ladies group and they talk about country, you know, and country's not a place and all, all this stuff that we kind of, we know, uh, but they said... We are, we are country, it is us, we are always becoming with it. And when I heard that, I thought, that's, yeah, that's, that makes sense to me, that in some way I was becoming, or that with the boomerang, we're finding that oneness and, ha- and having it creative conversation having a yarn about that so this idea of becoming making and happening and being and negotiating uh, and listening and doing and resting all at the same time is very very powerful and concept and a truth that I can feel in my body yeah Nadi we are coming to the close of our conversation here could go on forever (laughs) um we've woven through the past and the present Mm. or collapsed the boundaries between those 
things right and we're going to turn briefly to the future mm. um you are part of sydney writers festival and on may 25 you'll be sharing a letter that you've written to the future mm. what do you hope to bring to that event what i hope to bring to it actually and you know, i've been thinking about what i'm going to write here and how and i think uh i always think about you know talking about the other day the the dreaming uh we say burugu the time of creation these expanses of infinite infinity of which we're a little thing you know and how we say you know the past and the present and future are all the same moment and how can i make that a kind of touchable thing that's hard concept you know how can i engage with that practice how can i practice right way with this letter to the future and i've come to i've, I've gone to language again and uh, you all know, right have we got this language uh, word ilalu and it's beautiful because it means you know a long time ago ilalu it also means a really long time ahead so we have the same word for this mega stretch same word it doesn't matter which way that movement is it's just a long time away from where you are and that makes me think about the importance of where you are right now and how maybe there's a teaching in make the best dreaming you can now then you don't turn away from the relationship of where you are you sp- instead of a letter to this unattainable time you can have a conversation with the people you're with right now so that's how i'm going to approach it and if we keep doing that successive moments after moment we might set ourselves up for a good ilalu whenever that is yeah. Wow. Nadi Simpson, thank you so much for joining me here on Race Matters. It's been a pleasure, thank you. <laughs> That is all for Race Matters this week. I'm Sharika Halaludin. Thank you so much to our guest, writer, musician, Yualaroi storyteller, Nadi Simpson, for such a stunning chat and inviting us into her journeys of creativity. You can catch Nadi Simpson at the Sydney Writers' Festival across a few events, including that event on writing letters to the future on May 25. We'll leave all the details in our show notes. As always, you can listen back to episodes of Race Matters at fbiradio.com slash race matters. 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 Race matters.